Welcome back, friends. We left off last time with the church just on fire with the Holy Spirit, with Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of them teaching and preaching, vast crowds of people, from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to more and more and more. The religious leaders took note, arrested the apostles, but it didn't matter. They kept teaching anyhow. And not in secret, not in hiding, but boldly. The church is growing. It's like watching a little child over the first year of life. From the time they're born at what, maybe six or seven pounds, until they're a year old, think of the growth that happens during that time. The growth slows down later on and finally stops. But the church is in its infancy. The church is no longer in the cradle. The church is now up and walking and moving around and getting into things. And it caused more work. And it caused trouble. We read now, beginning in chapter 6 of Acts, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now we've noted that all the people in Jerusalem who witnessed the birth of the church on Pentecost AD 32, all these people had needs. All these people were visitors to Jerusalem who had way overstayed their planned vacation. And they're bringing together all the resources to keep the community going, keep the community vibrant. But the Hebraic Jews, that, are, that is, the locals, the Jews who lived in Jerusalem and became believers, and the Grecian Jews, those who had traveled to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost, They're rubbing edges here. The Grecian Jews complained because the local Jews were overlooking them and their needs in the distribution of food and goods. Yes, we have a common pot. But if you were one of the locals and you witnessed the birth of the church and you were just on fire and you knew, oh, yeah, that family from, uh, from Asia Minor, that family from Ephesus, fine folks, but, but they, they're out of money now and they have nowhere to stay. Well, they, they can stay with us. So they move into your house and they stay for a while. And like my grandmother used to say, guests are like fish. After about three days, they begin to stink. <laughs> but they're raw edges here. And trouble is brewing. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. And they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. This distribution of food, you know, we take up the collection, we go to the we buy the food at the at the market, and we bring everything together and distribute it but it's getting to be a really big task because of all the people and their needs. 
And it wouldn't be right for us apostles who have been delegated as teachers to be waiting on tables. So brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So Peter and the apostles are going to delegate authority. Now you might remember back in the Exodus, after the Israelites leave Egypt, we counted them up in the book of Numbers, 603,550 men, 20 to 50, plus an equal number of women and people over 50 and under 20, makes what, about 2 million people? And the needs were great. And every time there was a dispute, they would come to Moses. Well, imagine having that many people. There are disputes all the time. As my friend Rabbi Michael Marison used to say, you get two Jews together, you get three opinions. So there were disputes all the time. And they came to Moses to settle them. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, came to visit, saw all this. Moses is exhausted. And Jethro said, Moses, sit down here. Look, choose men you can trust to delegate your authority. And they can choose men they trust to delegate authority. And they can choose men to delegate their authority. And that way, all this can be managed efficiently. And you won't be killing yourself every day trying to do everything. Well, that's exactly what happens here in the early church. Can't you see the Holy Spirit saying to Peter, uh, Yo, Peter, you need to delegate. And that's what they do. They choose seven men. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So now we've delegated authority. Things are getting more efficient. And a large number of priests, Levites, became obedient to the faith. Well, delegate. And the seven men to whom authority was delegated were table waiters. That is, they distributed the food. We see in chapter 6, verse Two, that it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. To wait, a table waiter. And what's the Greek word for that? Diakonos, a deacon. These are the first seven deacons who will be delegated authority by the apostles to do, take care of the needs of the community. And that's true to this very day. I have several friends who are deacons in the Roman Catholic Church, and it's a five-year program to become a deacon. And once you're ordained as a deacon, it's an ordained position, and you are a deacon for life. And your job is to care for the needs of the people in the parish, allowing the pastor to do what he needs to do and others to do what they need to do. So, delegated authority. Now, Stephen... 
He was a man full of God's grace and power, and he did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So God is working miracles through him. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Jews from Cyrene, Libya, Simon of Cyrene, remember? Alexandria, Egypt, a major city in the Eastern Roman Empire and a major port, and some of the more important provinces in Cilicia and Asia. So we're getting factions and divisions here. <laughs> Denominations are starting to develop, if you will. These men began to argue with Stephen. But they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the Holy Spirit by whom he spoke. But they were disgruntled. They wanted things their way. This happens with every single community as it grows. Every religious community, every corporate community. You start out as an entrepreneurial group of people, all enthusiastic and working hard and, and working night and day and having ideas. And, but then as the company grows and becomes more complex and you bring more people in, the factions and divisions begin to develop. It happens in every organization as part of its growth cycle. Well, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen. They arrested him, brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they produced false witnesses who testified. This guy never keeps speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. The customs Moses handed down directly from God's lips to Moses to you, and they want to change it. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, pause there for a moment. When you think of Stephen with the face of an angel, it's always this beatific look, eyes looking up to heaven, gentle, kind look on his face. No, angels are fearsome, awesome creatures. When an angel appears, what's the first thing they say? Fear not, because you're headed to the floor. You're, you're, you're dropping dead away. Angels are fearsome creatures. Stephen had fire in his eyes, a determined look on his face. And the high priest asked him, are these charges true? And to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Now, we often refer to Acts chapter 7 here as Stephen's defense in his trial before the Sanhedrin. Stephen is not defending anything. Stephen is giving the Sanhedrin members, all PhDs in theology, 
a class in Bible 101. <laughs> he goes back to Genesis chapter 12. Listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldeans, before he lived in Haran. He said, leave your country and your people. Go to the land I'll show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran, eastern Turkey of today. After the death of his father, Terah, God sent him to this land where you're now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. He's just quoting from Genesis. He's starting with Abraham, and he is going to work all the way through Scripture, teaching Bible 101 to the PhDs in theology. Now, how do you think they're reacting? Stephen with a face like an angel, fearsome, fiery eyes, determined look. And these men are sitting there, and they are getting more and more irritated, more and more impatient, more and more angry. Who does this man think he is? Bible 101. Huh. And he continues on. At verse 23, Moses was 40 years old when he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. Oh, now we're through Genesis and up into Exodus. And on he goes until he comes to his conclusion, beginning at verse 51 of Acts 7. He draws himself up to his full height. He glares from one side to the other, looking into face after face after face. Silence is in the room. You cut the tension with a knife. And then he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you, you have betrayed and murdered him. You, who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth. They rushed at him. They dragged him outside. Stephen, as they're approaching him, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, cheering him on, Jesus fist-pumping up there. And Stephen said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. With this, they clapped their hands over their ears and yelling, screeching at the top of their voices. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. Saul of Tarsus. They laid their, feet, their clothes at the feet of the young man. He was the one supervising the stoning of Stephen. He was no innocent onlooker. No, 
He's not a member of the Sanhedrin. But Saul of Tarsus moved from Tarsus in southeastern Turkey of today. He moved to Jerusalem with his sister. He moved there to study. He was a brilliant young man, thoroughly trained in classical Greek rhetoric, a good speaker, a good writer, one of the brightest men in the entire Bible. He went to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of that century. Now, who gets to do that? Not some ordinary Joe from Tarsus. You know, moving to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel as an adult student would be like moving from Caltech to England to study physics under a Nobel laureate. This was a brilliant young man. He's supervising this. He's not a member of the Sanhedrin, but he's an adult student of Gamaliel, and I'll bet he was in the room when all this was going on. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he died. And Saul was there, arms folded across his chest, nodding his approval. Good job, men. Well, with that, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. I mean, they pulled out all the stops. They were going to round up everybody. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul of Tarsus began to destroy the church. Saul, the adult student of the great Gamaliel. Saul, the brightest young man of his generation a real up-and-comer, a future leader with an enormous intellect and absolute belief in what he was doing. Saul led the way in destroying the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. No one, no one ever hated Christ more than Saul of Tarsus. And we haven't heard the end of him. All those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So now that community in Jerusalem, it's like a stone hit the water and they went in every direction. North to Damascus, down to Caesarea Maritima, back to Rome. Everybody got out of Dodge. And the persecution begins. We'll follow that next week as we come back and once again encounter Saul of Tarsus, who will become St. Paul the Apostle. Oh, what a story. I can't wait to get into this. Next time, Acts 8, chapter, uh, verse 4. Those who have been scattered went out. And we'll encounter 
our Saul of Tarsus in a way that he never imagined he would be encountered. Uh, have a blessed weekend, and I'll be back with you. Bye-bye now. <laughs>